For the month of February, we have a theme on the Beyond Boundaries podcast. The theme is LGBTQIA faith, stories, and theology. Over the last month, I've had the privilege of meeting with some amazing people. Gathering around a microphone, I was able to capture their journeys. The stories are full of joy and hope, while some are full of sorrow and pain. This month is going to be raw and emotional for many of you. I know it was and is for me. My hope is that we can all grow in compassion, understanding, and love for the LGBTQIA community this month as we listen. While at Q Conference last month, our flights got canceled and we had to stay an extra night. I was able to connect with Rob and Linda Robertson and do this episode of Beyond Boundaries on that night. A night I was supposed to be on an airplane, headed home, but instead was stuck in Chicago. God has a way of working things out. This may be one of the most important episodes yet. The hours shared with Rob and Linda were holy for me. This conversation reminded me that God's grace is at work right here and right now in our lives. It also gave me hope for a new, more beautiful reality being birthed out of pain. God is so good at repurposing our stories. I want to warn you in advance that this episode is an emotional roller coaster. Many tears were shed as we recorded this. Lots of pain, but lots of hope. Here it is, my interview with Rob and Linda Robertson. I'm here with Rob and Linda Robertson, and we're going to have a conversation. We're at Q Conference, and it's done. Q Conference is over, and uh, we're going to have a talk on the podcast. I got to meet you guys today. Doran introduced yes. me to you both and told me a little bit about your story, and I'm super thankful to have this conversation with you guys. Do you want to maybe both of you give a brief, um, uh, just a little bit about yourself, and then we can dive in? Sure, I'll go first. Uh, my name is Rob, and uh, Linda, my beautiful wife, we got married a little over 35 years ago. And we got married, and we're very determined to do marriage well. And um, I'm happy to say that it's been super fulfilling, and we've worked very hard at our marriage. Four kids, and we also entered into parenting with a tenacity. And at the center of our home has always been a desire to do it God's way, mm. um, please the Lord with our lives, and how we live them. I'm a career firefighter. I've got 34 years in so far, and it's been a super rewarding career in the Seattle area. What about you? Yeah, I think you you covered most of it. Um, I am currently, um, yeah, we live in the Seattle area in the little little city that uh, that. Um, and a birth, a tiny company called Microsoft. <laughs> Never so, heard of it. So, yeah, Redmond, <laughs> Washington, yeah. And, um, yeah, we just have a full, rich life. I um, volunteer full-time, and um, our, our um, kids have, have lived in other states, but now they're moving. Gradually, one by one, are moving back, so it's fun. It's a fun wow. season of life. We've, we're really loving the empty nest years, so it's been good. So tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, I know, obviously, but how would you introduce someone to your guys' experience and why you're at Q Conference, mm. why this is an important conference to you, why you're taking the time after the conference is over to sit down with me and do a podcast. Mm. Um, I can just sense in knowing your story, your guys' heart 
for others who might be journeying through what you've journeyed mm-hmm. through and maybe don't have resources as yes. they go through that or maybe are just haven't been exposed to a variety of ways of approaching this. Um, can you maybe just share as long as you need to take to just let people know your story? How would you mm-hmm. go about maybe telling them if they were in the room? Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, the reason um, we we made a priority and we've tried to make a priority every year to come to Q Conference and to come to Chicago from Seattle is that, um, as Rob mentioned, four children. Um, it was, I don't think other, well, our heart's desire was to raise our kids in a way that would glorify God and to raise them in a loving home where they knew they were loved unconditionally. Um, But even more than that, that they knew God loved them unconditionally and where they would be drawn to Jesus Christ and desire to lean into a relationship with him. And our family, we're very involved and always involved in a church home, Mm -hmm. Um, not just on Sundays, but midweek, social events. Family mission trips. Life groups. Yep, life groups. We always had Christian music playing in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, we did lots and lots of reading to our kids. And then um, they also did a lot of listening to adventures and Odyssey tapes. So I focus on the oh, family. I remember that. Yes, if anybody remembers those, they were great. Like the road trip. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Did you, were, were you guys beyond the McGee and Me era? Do you remember oh, McGee and Me? Oh, yes, we, we totally do. I always we, joke. We, we, found, we found a bunch of the VHS, the VHS McGee yes. and Me's at Goodwill like not long ago, and I showed them to my kids. That's it was awesome. great. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, all over that. So, and um, we did lots of scripture memory in our home. Yeah. Um, but we also really desired that we wouldn't um, push our kids so far that, that we didn't want to tell them how to think. We wanted to tell them what to think. I mean, wait, I said the wrong. <laughs> we want to tell them what to think. Excuse me. I haven't had a lot of sleep <laughs> no, this weekend. No, I understand. Weekend. No, that's good. We didn't want to tell them what to think. We wanted to teach them how to think. Yes, definitely. And we wanted to encourage them to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And um, and ultimately to own their own faith and live out a, a godly life and yeah. contributing citizen right. like most parents want to see their kids thrive. Yeah. Right, and not because it was their parents' faith, but because it was their faith that yes. they had grabbed hold of and that they actually trusted Jesus for themselves. Yeah. And um, I feel like we loved the growing up years. Our four kids were all born within five and a half years, and we couldn't wow. have been happier. We, we just... It was a riot. It was so much fun. It was always a party. Yeah. And all the neighbor kids would always be knocking on our door and go play at the Robertsons. And no wonder we had a trampoline in the backyard. We had time to spend with the kids. And the slip and slide in the backyard was, you know, 10 feet wide and 30 feet long. It's Uh, just a blast at our house. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And, I mean, it's like... If you guys could see me, my face, I'm just grinning. I have so, we have so many great memories. Yeah. And we were we desired to be the place where all the kids hung. And we figured, like, hey, if there's lots of food and lots of pop and they, they don't have to worry about ruining the furniture. And we never had new furniture anyway, so there wasn't any furniture to ruin. <laughs> my wife so, says that all the right. time. She's like, we'll get new furniture when our kids are all out of the house great. because Amen, uh, it's just never going to look nice. And it never is. Well, and it worked because the ki- kids always wanted to be at our house. And, and um, 
And it was just, yeah. It, it turns was, out kids don't really like or prefer fancy. Yeah, yeah they prefer love like where they can and yeah. welcome. Yeah. Yeah, and listening ears. Yeah. And so, um, so really, family and parenting and marriage are going along well, and we love our church, and we feel like we're growing. And, um, and then in, in 2001, so we ha- um, our, our oldest daughter was a ninth grader in the fall of 2001, and our, our second child, a son, was just entering seventh grade. And then we had a fifth grader and a fourth grader. Wow. So two boys and two girls. And um, our oldest daughter was her birthday, and our oldest son, Ryan, had gone downstairs to wrap a present for her, and um, and I was at my computer um, checking. I think I was printing out like a card, probably with really tacky word art and yeah. clip art from the time, <laughs> two thousand one, and um, and then the little instant messenger bubble popped up on my screen, and um and it was Ryan messaging me from his bedroom and you guys are in the same house and we're in the same house uh-huh and he popped in and wanted to chat and so um and he asked me like hey mom hey can i tell you something i was like sure shoot and he said you probably know this by now but i i've i just i felt like i wanted to tell you and I had no idea what was coming. Like, I'm listening, I'm here. And he said, type, Mom, I'm gay. And now can I interject here? Yes. Everything was a discussion in our house. Mm-hmm. We talked about everything with our kids. Yeah. And we did um, uh, more mm-hmm. conversations around difficult things rather than avoiding difficult things. Sure. That was just our parenting approach. Yeah. And... So there was also a lot of humor in our home. So this hits us with <laughs> the last kid we'd expect to be gay is Ryan. So he's Absolutely. obviously having fun with mom and dad over. You're yeah. right. Messenger. But I think there was something. I mean, I did message back, are you joking? And he was like, no, mom, I'm gay. And I think at that moment, I mean, I've only experienced like shock, real shock, probably one time in my life. It was right then. Like my whole body just went cold. I felt lightheaded. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, was com- I was completely taken agar- off guard. And I think you must have heard my voice. I think I called upstairs for you. And you came down and Rob sat next to me. Next to the computer, as we messaged so with my Ryan. My take at that point was, I'm watching you respond, and I'm thinking I need to be the stability factor here. So I'm doing my firefighter thing, where it's like shut down the emotions and deal with what's going on with yeah. logic and reason. Right. Yeah. And it and um, and Ryan and I went back and forth, and initially, I'm um, I re- I immediately reassured him that we loved him. It, it thanked him for being honest. But inside, my, my heart, my heart was racing, my mind was racing. And um, I think it wasn't that Rob and I didn't know and love gay people. The, my only sibling had come out to us almost exactly 10 years before. And we lo- loved him. We had gay neighbors down the street whose children went to school with our children. 
love their kids, love them. We, we owned a hate is not a value bumper sticker. We, we often bemoan the fact that Christians were known for what they were, more for what they were against rather than for what they were yeah. for. And we longed for the church um, to be known for being for people, yeah. not against people. But at the same time, it was a very different thing to have a gay brother than to have a gay 12-year-old child. Mm. Um, do you want to speak to that at all? Well, when you're responsible for a youth who's headed toward adulthood, but certainly under our care still, we felt um, layers of, uh, of a heavy weight. Um, and our beliefs at the time were that this meant that his soul was in danger, that he perhaps was going to choose what we would have called at that time a gay lifestyle mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that would lead to eternal hell. And so we were struck with fear for our son being swept away by the lies of the enemy. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And essentially, jump in. Well, I was going to ask, what kind of church were you in at this point? You had mentioned the church earlier. What, what? Non-denominational, okay. evangelical church, okay. um, Bible teaching church. Um, Did you take this to them right away? Or were you like, um, uh, let's feel this out for a little bit before we involve the church? I'm just curious. We did it not... I, I think we were so shocked. This was um, this is a son that, um, like, had we known, had someone told us one of your two sons will be gay, yeah. we would have guessed our other son. Yeah, our other son is um, is definitely not gay. He's very happily married um, to a woman, and um, but this Ryan was absolutely. Fearless, loves taking risks, loves doing every, was very typically what we think of as like boy interests. Sure. And wasn't um, playing with Barbie dolls, wasn't no. like all the, all the, right, all the social cues. Right. I'm using air quotes right now. Didn't like, care about his, like, didn't care about style or dressing yeah. just right. And, you know, it was our other son who didn't want to be dirty or cold and yeah. made, our other son made sure that he wore his hats just right. Yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't Ryan. But, um, so we didn't at all see, see it coming. I think initially we were just so distressed. We, we kept didn't, it a secret mostly. Yes, we didn't sleep. We didn't eat. Mm. Couldn't couldn't I couldn't keep food down. Within are we talking about the days following oh. or like the weeks following? Oh, like? for for days, days following. And I think our first we did end up. Uh, let's come back to church. I think one of the first things we did though was um, was. We so got the name of a Christian counselor okay. who we were told from someone at church that knew something about homosexuality. And so we needed guidance, so we were looking. Yeah, yeah, we were looking. And so we went and met with her, sat down and spent like the 45-minute session letting her know, this is what's happened. Yeah. And we're crying and weeping. And at the end of the session, she said, um, I got news for you. Your son was born gay. Your son is gay. Your son will always be gay. He doesn't have a problem. You do. Mm. You need to get over it. Well, um, that didn't go over very well for us. 
Yeah. We um, were wrong paradigm. You yes. are on the slippery slope to hell. We're out of here. Yeah. I think, right. At that time, we just really distrusted her. That just sure. confirmed us to us that she wasn't following yeah. biblical it couldn't go together. Um, instruction, yeah. right? It couldn't go together. She must not be a real Christian. Yeah. She wasn't following biblical instruction. Mm-hmm. And it made us more scared. It just amped our panic. And I think it increased our desire to really find biblical guidance. Correct? Yes. Right? Would you say that's... Absolutely. So we looked elsewhere, got online. Yes. So we started seeking out organizations that um, at the time were doing work um, and had, had written books and had done, you know, radio shows and had, had I mean, the Internet was still fairly new, but had some, some information online. Sure. Remind me how old Ryan is at this time. He's 12. 12. He's 12, so... Did we find Love One Out? Yes, uh, yeah, we, um, yeah, um, Focus was doing a lot of things, and international, Exodus International was doing a lot of things, yeah. and we just read voraciously, and yeah, I think for a while, we didn't tell a lot of, a lot of people, I think we told my folks, and eventually we did tell our pastor, and then we began gathering a group of prayer warriors to pray with us, but I think more than that, one of the things that um, I, 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 don't, I don't regret seeking Christ definitely through that. What I think one of the things I regret most was that we completely changed our parenting style. We um, stopped uh, listening to Ryan and began lecturing. Oh, uh, okay. We didn't ask Ryan any questions mm-hmm. about his feelings or experiences, what it had been like for him. We were only listening to outside sources. We weren't listening to our own child. And um, we began writing him long letters, pleading letters, giving him resources, telling him what to read, um, anything. And we believed wholeheartedly that it was a disorder that you could choose to embrace and that it was possible to become straight. And, and I, all and your resources are reaffirming that. Absolutely. Everyone in our world affirmed that. Yeah. And everything, and all of what we were reading, it was that he was 12. His sexual orientation wasn't set in stone. Yeah. And that there was still time for intervention. Mm. And so... So there was an urgency even to the position. Oh, not just a position, but an urgency placed on oh, it. Because this is a critical time. If you can just bingo. get in there now and lecture enough, it'll change. That, that Bingo. Kind of, Mm. Or such urgency, which amped yeah. up the fear in our house, amped up the anxiety, yeah. amped up the panic. And the ironic thing, right, Rob, is that we, we are in this desperate desire to please Jesus and to make sure our son follows Jesus. And yet, when we look back, we don't see faith in there at, at work at all. Mm. We see desperate pleading with God um, I can remember walking around the neighborhood every day on my morning walk, pleading with God to, to change Ryan's same-sex attractions. Um, yeah, I think that it was just a, a matter of um, being so fearful that we were blinded to recognizing that God could love Ryan way better than we could. 
and that we needed to figure this out ourselves and, and find that pathway to making mm-hmm. him straight because we were afraid of the hard things in this world that come with um, being gay because the world can be super harsh and the church world even more harsh sometimes. Right. Did Ryan receive that well in the sense of, did he see it the same way you guys saw it for a while or did he, was he open to the resources you were giving him and the, the and counsel? Initially, the... he was 12. So yeah. initially he pushed back. Um, initially he pushed back and he basically retreated, wouldn't speak, wouldn't mm. really speak, communicate with us. Understandably, we weren't yeah. really communicating. It was a one-way yeah. lecture zone in our house. Yeah. And um, so, and I think because Ryan, Ryan had come out so long, young, partly because he, tr- he trusted us. He knew that in our house, we loved Uncle Don. Yeah. We, we never said anything negative about gay people in our house. We yeah. weren't the people that commented about Ellen on TV. Yeah, because that was big around that time. It was. It was right around the same time. So we weren't the people that thought that, oh, you know, Ellen and people like her are making the world, you know, a bad place. That wasn't wasn't our our dynamic at all. So he trusted us and and to come out early. And then his world was like, his head must have been just exploding because didn't know what happened to his mom and dad. So, um, mm. but... He did go to church and talk to the youth pastor. Mm. And um, the youth pastor over the entire youth program hooked us up with a junior high pastor who we asked to mentor Ryan and to reach out to Ryan. Yes. Um, unknown to Ryan that we had approached them. Yeah. Okay. And Ryan, I, I think within about a year... About a year, Ryan got on board, and Ryan really started his own journey okay. of, like, I mean, he had, he never stopped going to church, but really leaning in, doing his own reading, memorizing large passages of scripture, praying, you know, pleading with God, journaling to God in his prayer journals. Um, yeah. He memorized the Sermon on the Mount at that's that time. Awesome. I don't think that's something that I could really... <laughs> yeah, the entire thing. And yeah. his motivation was the competition for the youth group <laughs> was a case of soda. Yeah. <laughs> but he... and Sounds like a typical yeah, yeah, young person. Higher, yeah. Right? yeah, Yeah, he, he really... I mean, he really leaned in. And the, Ryan didn't want to be gay yeah. any more than we wanted him to be gay. Mm. He wanted to fit in. He wanted to be normal. Um he wanted he wanted to please God. He'd always had an intense spiritual desire for God, always been really sensitive to things of God. So he absolutely um, got on board. He began leaning in, and he, he read the books and all the instruction to lean into your relationship with your dad, to lean into rela- healthy relationships with straight men. Um, we intentionally changed our relationship with Ryan, both of us, you withdrawing, me leaning in more. Mm-hmm. Um, we mm. also sought out a counselor locally, and we gave him an incentive trip to work toward. Okay. And it was a roller coaster journey yeah. across the country. Yeah. Oh, sweet. To Kings and Island, he, right? He bought into that. Kings yeah. Island in Cincinnati, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I grew up just, just a little from there in uh-huh. Indiana, and I've been to Kings Island many times. That's Six yeah. Flags at Sandusky. Okay. Yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, man. Millennium Force. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. 
So we did that. He went to the counselor. He embraced that. But um, And later he did counseling again and really, really dove into the, the um, there's an, lots of ideas in the um, kind of, at that time in the ex-gay therapy world about the way you parented mm-hmm. and the reasons that um, theories about homo- how homosexuality develops. Mm-hmm. And Ryan dug through those in, counsel- in counseling, invited us in to do reconciliation work with the counselor, with him, talk through things with us. He made a, a giant poster of diagramming the origins of his same-sex desires mm. and... Um, and boy, oh, and then I think it was, was he about, I think it was about 16 when he came out to about 100 kids at youth group um, at a packed, like he, he had been, he had been doing a lot of work. He hadn't been, he had been in Montana for a summer and came back and came out and gave his testimony in front of about 100 kids wow. and shared with them his story and and shared about how he really felt like Satan had trapped him into believing lies that he was mm. that he was gay and um, do you want to jump in at all? Yeah, I just to sum it up, he was completely on board in yeah. trying not Thanks. to be gay because the, he was a bright kid and it doesn't take a lot of smarts to see that the world is not nice to gay. Yeah, and he thought that it would work. We thought it would work, and so he pursued it. Would you yeah. describe his counseling slash books he was reading, way of seeing himself, and way of trying to move forward as gay reparative therapy? Or would you describe? I mean, I'm just curious, like, because obviously that has yeah. a lot attached to it now with Absolutely. movies that are out. Maybe it wasn't that intense, but I guess I, I, I for for context for people Absolutely. listening, um, how would you describe it? Obviously, he's 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 hoping that he will change, uh, right? Yes. He's hoping that he'll be straight. That's his. That's yes. the end goal. That's the target in his mind and your guys' Absolutely. mind as well, right? At this time, mm-hmm. yeah, and it wasn't officially the counseling he did wasn't ever officially conversion therapy. Okay. However, you okay. follow the principles. Yes, it's okay. all the therapy, all the books, everything is based on the same ideas. Sure. Um, and reparative therapy, you know, the ideas at the time. And, um, and for his 17th birthday, is he wanted for his birthday to go to an Exodus International conference. And mm. so we did that. And, and to be fair, it wasn't all a negative experience. He actually sure. met his first gay Christians. Yeah. Although they, did, they would call themselves same-sex attracted Christians. Sure. But he had connection with other with other teenagers going through the same thing he yeah. was going through for the first time. So it was really beautiful in a lot of ways. The, prob- the biggest, most insidious problem was that we did not realize that, well, several things. We didn't realize that we were communicating to Ryan that he inherently was a problem to be fixed. A project we needed to, hmm. yeah, yeah, he needed to be corrected. And that, and we would tell him the language in our home, like in many Christian homes, is we love you unconditionally. And we throw that around. And yet Rob and I would always tell him, we love you unconditionally. But there was always a butt attached. Yeah. We love you unconditionally. But Ryan. Don't embrace your sexuality. 
But Ryan, you need to keep seeking Jesus. We will never stop loving you. But Ryan, you need to choose holiness. You know, we will, gosh, we'll always have your back, Ryan. Yeah. And this, the cost of discipleship is high. Yeah. But, but Christ will reward you for this. And there's other men that have gone before you. And you can read their stuff and... And it worked for them. It worked for them. Yes, and we we and he wrote to one um, a man who had gotten who had gotten married and written a book called um, "You Don't Have to Be Gay." And he wrote back and forth Mm -hmm. to this gentleman, the author, and and the thing. um, I'm going to gather myself for a second. Take your time. I think. We didn't get, as heterosexual individuals, we, we kept, even though we didn't believe that being gay was a choice, we thought that it wasn't a big deal to ask Ryan not to embrace his sexuality, to expect that Ryan wouldn't embrace his, his sexuality. We didn't stop to think about whether or not we could separate our heterosexuality from who we are. Mm. We expected Ryan to separate his homosexuality from who he was. And Mm. to do that is virtually impossible. So as we're telling Ryan that his homosexuality is sinful and evil and a problem and, and something that will cause him to be in danger of losing God's love and something that will pull him away from Jesus. um, We're teaching Ryan to hate his sexuality. And we didn't intend to do that, but in teaching Ryan to hate his sexuality, we taught Ryan to hate himself. Mm -hmm. Mm. Because Ryan and Ryan and anyone in the LGBTQ community they can't separate their sexuality or their gender or their gender identity from them from themselves. It's part of who they are. But we didn't get that. Yeah. So we didn't get that soon enough. Sure. We, so what's the next chapter as far as like so he's exploring all of these resources, he's getting counseling, he's going to Exodus International. He's like, oh, yeah. there's other people like me. I'm not alone. I'm sure yeah. that was incredibly refreshing to be like, okay, I'm not the right. only one because whenever I, I've, I've experienced that when I Absolutely. journey with other people that are in similar places, when they realize they're not alone, that tends to be a groundbreaking moment. So I'm sure that was super helpful. Um, what's the next, I guess, um, pivot point in the story as he continues to, you know, he's in high school, right? At this mm-hmm. point and going through school. high school and you know, before we go to the um, next pivot point, the one thing I want to say, and then I'll let you jump on that question, is that um, as we're expecting celibacy from Ryan, either either celibacy or to, to lean into a heterosexual marriage and to sure. trust God that he would change his desire so that he could marry a woman. But I think uh, um, there was some level in which we knew that that might not happen. Mm-hmm. So if that might, if that didn't happen, then celibacy. And I think as we went along, celibacy became more and more on the table. Mm-hmm. And I think we didn't stop to think that we were expecting celibacy out of our teenager. 
lifelong celibacy in a home where marriage is elevated and held up to a very great extent. Mm -hmm. And as Rob had said at the beginning, we set out to have a great marriage and to be best friends and to have a thriving, growing relationship and a relationship that glorified God and reflected the love of Christ Mm -hmm. in our marriage. And so in this home, it's Ryan's always heard language about the joys of marriage and he sees us loving marriage and he sees us um, not just loving every one aspect of marriage, but every aspect of marriage, yeah. and especially emotional intimacy, sure, and companionship, and having a person that you know always has your back, mm-hmm. including the hard work to reach and maintain that kind of intimacy. Yes, yeah, it doesn't happen by itself. So if this is not in our family, yes, a healthy sexual relationship, a thriving sex life is a is a part of it that we talked about with our kids. Mm-hmm. Our kids knew about it. We did. We had a really open house. They knew that that was something we valued. But but even but even more than that, it wasn't just about sex. It was about emotional intimacy. Yeah. And we're telling Ryan that he can't have that for the rest of his life. Yeah. It's a really big ask. Yeah, especially okay. for a seventeen-year-old, or even at that first thing, like twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Like you're experiencing so much change and and drive, I guess, in these right. areas. And like you're like, well, I don't know if I could do this forever. Like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. It, that's for a heterosexual person, I would say. Right. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like the idea of right. of purity in general for a it's heterosexual person incredibly difficult. is incredibly difficult. You add on to it not being understood sexually. You're spot and, on. And having, you know, having to work through that with your family and that, that yeah. Right. I, I get it. Wow. Because our other kids had the hope, even though none of them were sexually active, mm. they all had the, the other three had the hope of meeting someone meeting a partner, falling in love, having a, having intimacy in every aspect sure. of marriage, but not right. Yeah, the prospect of lifelong loneliness. Yeah. Was, oh, wow. And so... I've never heard it put that way. Front center. Yeah. So he was completely disillusioned that this effort didn't work. And really, at our house, we don't do things halfway. We were just, we were all in. The, the stack of materials and books and tapes and CDs, it was incredible. We devoured it. We tried it. We did it all. We did and it. He did it all. Yep. And he did it all. Yeah. He did it all. He was angry at God because he felt betrayed mm-hmm. for this promise that was never fulfilled. And there was a day where he literally opened his bedroom door and threw his three Bibles down the hallway, slammed the door. Right. And it was a very distinct marker in time. Yeah. Yeah, and How I think... How old was he at this time? I think it was almost 18, just ready to turn 18. And he... Um, and it was shortly after that that he came to me in the kitchen and said, Mom, I am in so much pain. I feel so betrayed by God. He had kept... Ryan felt like he had kept his part of the deal. Mm. He had done everything God asked, and God wasn't keeping his part of the deal. He wasn't seeing any change in his, in his sexual attractions. And said, I feel depressed and discouraged. I hate my life. I feel like I hate myself. And I am, um, I am going to go, I want to find peace, Mom. I, I just need to find some peace. And 
Um, Ryan was a researcher, and he said, I've been researching, and I've been reading a lot of things online, and I am going to try to find peace in drugs. Some people have found, have said they find peace in drugs. So I'm going to find peace in drugs. I wanted to let you know. That's mm. what I'm going to try. And at this point, he never had a beer. He never smoked a cigarette. I mean, he hadn't tried anything. And so we had this very civil conversation where um, he said, yeah, I, I know that you guys, we don't allow drugs in our home. So, so if I continue with this decision, I'll, I'll move out. So that's what happened. He moved out. He moved out right after he turned 18. And he began to use recklessly like he didn't care if he lived or died. There was a despondence that was frightening from day one. Hmm. Yeah, I started, I mean, he started out with weed and beer and then it um, quickly progressed to hard drugs very quickly. I think he was so despondent, so depressed. And we didn't, at that point, we didn't really understand the extent of the self-hatred and the extent to which he viewed himself as a pervert and as a problem mm. and as someone who God could never love. We just did we just didn't really, we didn't get that. So as, so so he just began using anything to numb his pain, anything he could get. And I think it was within about three months that um, he ended up coming by the house and he was high and, um, and, it, and Rob was at the fire station and I was alone and, and, and Ryan was bigger than me and he, was, he got angry, he was high and I was scared. I had to call 911 and... And we lost contact with him. He was angry. I had to call. Lost contact with him for about a year, mm. which was the darkest year of our lives. Darkest year of our lives. Explain a little bit of that season, that year, as far as like, it's the darkest season, I would guess, because the relationship isn't there. You don't have contact. You don't know. You probably are. It's in seeing him use drugs so recklessly, wondering if he's even alive, wondering if, if, you know, wondering a, a, a probably a myriad of things. But then also, I would guess like your faith is being tested, and even Extreme it's been tested test. already, but now it's being tested again. And like, so maybe tell me a little bit about how you guys are maintaining in that time spiritually, but also yeah. just as a family. The um, the realization that there's nothing you can do for your child but pray mm. yet knowing that prayer is powerful but having no direct influence was probably one of the toughest tests mm -hmm. in our faith journey and we knew how despondent he had become and the recklessness so that he gave up trying for purity for living well for pursuing God caused us to feel like his soul was literally in jeopardy. Yeah, and we knew he was on the streets. We knew he was living on the streets. We, and we knew he kept getting arrested. So he didn't, he didn't have a place to go. He was homeless. He didn't have a vehicle. Um, and it was, it was absolutely terrifying. I would literally, um, I worked as... Um, webmaster for the school district when the kids were that younger kids were in school so so during their school hours so and when I'd get there the first thing I'd do in the mornings is log on 
to our county inmate jail registry to see if he had been arrested Mm. and was always glad when I saw his name because that meant he was alive. Mm. If he had been arrested, it's a a very weird thing to be in a position where you're grateful your kids are in jail. But we are. We were. Our paradigm of um, the worst case scenario in parenting just kept being moved back. And, oh, it can get worse. Oh, it can get worse. Yeah. And I think think it was such a dark time, but at the same time, it it was the time where I'd say for me, I started to trust God about about with having a gay son. It was the first time that I got I stopped listening to other voices and started listening to God. And I heard God's voice during that time in a way I hadn't before. I think because I was I was so scared that I I shut out with my own fears. I shut out the voice of God and I was letting all these other voices of the the experts, the so-called experts in the field and people at church and our our community and our family speak in into our lives. And I really wasn't listening to God or trusting God. And it was really during Ryan's that year that we began hearing God's voice reassuring mm. us that he knew where Ryan was mm. and that he loved Ryan and that and re- reminding us to love Ryan and then ironically at the same time we began meeting with a group of people who also had LGBTQ kids and but none of their kids were missing and all of them were still in the place we were and all, um, and so they were afraid, and they were, but they all knew where their kids were, and they, and they, many of their kids had partners, and they didn't want anything to do with their kids' partners. They were feeling like God had called them to not condone those gay relationships, and to put up walls, and to let their kids know, we do not want to meet your partner. Your partner is not welcome in our home. Um, we are not supportive of this relationship, and the more and more longer Rob and I went along, we began to see an irony of like, oh, we don't know who, where our child is if he's alive. If we had the chance to have dinner with our child, with Ryan and his partner, we would jump at the chance. Yeah. We began to feel like, this doesn't feel right anymore. Mm-hmm. Do we, we may never see our child again. Yeah. So the issue of sexuality just absolutely paled, yeah. shrunk to not on the radar anymore. Yeah. So theologically, this is becoming less imperative. And at the same time, we're not digging through it theologically. Yeah. We are just living to God, listening to God. Yeah. I don't think at that point, we didn't really, we were setting aside everything else except hearing, we began hearing God's voice. What? Yeah. Like, what was God saying to you? He's loving our son better than we ever could. Wow. And, and to know that that is true about all of our kids um, hit us and, squarely between the eyes. And we kept, we both kept feeling like God was saying, if you get a chance to love Ryan, love Ryan. And, and, and at the same time, our prayers totally changed. We stopped completely praying for Ryan to become straight. Mm-hmm. We stopped praying for Ryan to never have a boyfriend. We stopped praying for Ryan um, to 
to never embrace the homosexual lifestyle. Those prayers went away. The yeah. only thing we were praying for was for Ryan to know that God loved him. Yep. Ryan yeah. to lean into God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Ryan to return to Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we both knew that realistically, we might not ever, Ryan might not ever return to our house. Linda and I knew this in our heart and soul, but most people we talked to about it dismissed it. This is going to work out just fine. So we kept we kept saying like okay so Hold even on, if people, you do people you talked to were telling you it was going to work out just fine mm-hmm. almost yeah like, like he'll come back almost It'll like be... this is this is tough love this is how it looks yeah. it's going to get better because don't worry about it oh wow but yeah. the problem There's lots is of kids that use and they end up fine yeah they'll, they'll work through it and our prayer indeed was God help him to see his way through this survive it yeah. but more than that we wanted we were we were. You know, at that point, Ryan had walked away from God, so that amped up the that amped up the urgency and the fear, because yeah. we're sure. thinking Ryan Ryan may die on the streets. Yeah. We're a prayer b- battle for his soul, and sure. we're uh, yeah, and we're pretty yeah. So, so at that point, it's about a year in. Oh, and I think we should stop and say, at this point, I think we started to feel like, oh, this is really a little bit crazy that the thing we Ryan didn't leave for the streets for drugs and living on the streets because he wanted it, wanted to embrace a gay lifestyle. Mm-mm. He he left for the streets and embraced embraced promiscuity and drugs and walked away from Jesus because he did not believe that God loved him. Mm-hmm. Or that mom and dad really loved him. Right. That he wasn't enough for us. He believed that we would, we would really only love him and we would love him more if he was straight. And so it wasn't a desire mm-hmm. to be connected to another guy that, that drove him to that. Yeah. And here in our desire to keep him from ever having a boyfriend, we drove him to it. Yeah, complete backfire. So, so how does he? What you guys eventually reconnect, right? Yeah. How does that take place? Tell me a little bit about that moment and the subsequent moments that follow. Yeah, Ryan experienced a few uh, events um, of intentional life-ending drug use where he survived, and he began to think that God wouldn't let him die, even wow. though he was ready to die. So he was trying to. Yes. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to end his life. He believed that God, yeah. he, he felt like God was saying, maybe there's a purpose for your life. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you tell the part where he recontacted us. So um, it was in August of 2008 that... Um, out of nowhere, Ryan called and completely, he had told us that, I should back up and say he had told us that he would never, ever, we would never hear from him again. He was very, very angry with us and told us that he had pretty much cut us off as and told us that um, we were not his parents and that we were never, ever, never to expect him to ever contact us again. And he asked us never to contact yeah, him. He denounced he denounced us, us as yeah. parents. 
Mm-hmm. And some of that was that. drug-fueled anger. Sure. Quite a bit of it was drug-fueled anger. Yeah. But nevertheless, we took him at his word, so we didn't expect him. So we called out of nowhere. And, um, and he said, Mom, is Dad there? And I said, no. And I was like, Ryan? He said, Dad's at the fire station. And he said, well, Mom, okay, I'll talk to you, and you can talk to Dad. He said, um, Mom, do you think that you and Dad could ever forgive me? And I said, oh, Ryan, like, we've never, ever, we've, we could forgive you. Like, we never, there's never a reason to ask for our forgiveness. We have forgiven you from before you ever needed to ask. It's not on the table. You're forgiven. And then he said, Ryan, or Mom, do you think you and Dad could ever love me again? And um, I just said, Ryan, we ever stopped loving you for a second. You are loved now more than you've ever been loved. We love you so much. And then he said, but Mom, could you love me with a boyfriend? And that answer came out so fast. I said, Dad, I could love you with 15 boyfriends. We just want a relationship with you again. And that began like this journey, um, this beautiful journey of reconnecting and healing and reconciliation and us doing a lot of asking for forgiveness and him doing a lot of asking for forgiveness because of the things that had happened while he was using. And, um, and he had assumed that we, um, took him off our insurance plan and asked to go to rehab and said, I know you don't, I know I'm no longer on your insurance, but, I want but to find is there any way like, yeah, so. could you help me find a place to go to rehab? And, and, um, and I think, too, you know, the assumption, it spoke a lot to the message we had inadvertently gave him, that he just assumed that he wouldn't be loved. He, we would have cut him off as in our insurance. Like, he didn't have that groundedness of knowing, Mom and Dad just love me just because. Mm. And they never stopped. He didn't have yeah. And... After this, and we did get into rehab, and rehab had a portion of it that was um, family counseling oriented, and it wasn't light, it was intense. Mm. And Ryan literally had to go through with us every aspect of his using behavior that was hurtful to his family. And it was an honest reconciliation where we really did talk about the hardest things. And a new relationship was born. And yeah. he had a um, a conviction that the most important thing in life was loving family and friends and relationships. Yeah. Just he at, being on the street had this crash course of... What really matters? Economics. Yeah, what really matters in life? In life, what really matters. And he came home and, and he had... He just couldn't get enough of time with us. And um, reconnecting was really beautiful, but a lot of physical damage had occurred. But one, a story that I love that I have, like, um, when we first reconnected with him, um, 
we um, drove him out to rehab, and his boyfriend um, went with us to go to rehab. And, and I, you know, I can remember his boyfriend was this really tall, really, like, guy who dressed in goth, all black. And I remember being at Costco, and we were on the way to rehab, and we stopped for hot dogs on the way. And I um, and was in this really conservative area of town, and I noticed everybody looking at them, staring at the boys. And I remember for the very first time feeling like defensive and protective of the boys. Mm. And and they're about they're 19 at the time. And I remember noticing that myself, this protective thing, and thinking, mm. oh, gosh, this is new. Your mama bear awoke in that moment. Yes, <laughs> like I'm feeling defensive. And then, so we're driving over to rehab. And um, it's important to know that right before Ryan was going to enter rehab, they had partied one last time oh. and he relapsed and ended up oh, in ICU right. for a week. Oh, wow. And so then we had to try again to get him to rehab. And so we had just come off this crazy week this near miss oh that's right near death episode yes crash course of learning to love your um your your son's boyfriend in the icu Mm -hmm. yeah that's where we met him yes Mm. and Uh, um so we're on our way oh that's right thank you for that is important right so we're on our way and we find out that there's not room in the detox place for that night we all have to stay in a hotel Mm. and ryan is really super um frugal and he's conscious about costing us money so he says dad we're in the van and rob and i up front and ryan and his boyfriend behind us he says dad we'll it we can just get one room at the hotel to save money we'll we'll sleep on the floor it's 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 just great we can totally sleep on the floor and rob says ryan mom and i have been in the hospital for a week Mom and I, unless you want to put earplugs in, put a curtain up, you and Devin are going to have your <laughs> own room. room. I, I'm having all my room. My life. mom tonight. <laughs> so, oh, so, okay, so. So they're cracking. We, so they're laughing. Then we pull over to get gas. I get out of the car and I say to Rob, I hiss to Rob, Rob, do you just realize we just said we are going to get our son and his gay boyfriend a hotel room. We're going to buy our son and his gay boyfriend a hotel room. Like, what do you think? What do you think? Um, oh, I know what he said. What are our friends going to think? Who are on our way to hell, probably. <laughs> no, I think we both, we both acknowledge we might not have friends anymore. Oh, wow. If they know, if they know that we are buying our, our son a hotel room. And then I said, but what does God think? What do you think God thinks? I'm good with God. And I was like, he was like, how are you? What are you sensing from God? I'm like, oh, I'm fine with God. God say, okay. And then we, then Rob looked at me and he said, Linda, they're not going to get any gayer. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do we think? So, so we're standing there with a, a, a bended paradigm of a reality, um, having gone through this experience and just kind of blown away that we had this moment of joy and laughter in, the, in, in a moment that was just... Kind of horrible in how we got there. And, you know, and the, the, one of the great memories, too, is that Ryan, um, they stayed in our room until we finally had to kick them out. They wanted to be, he wanted to be on the bed with us, yeah. watching a movie, showing us a movie that he loved, together with us. And the next morning at 6.30 a.m., our 19-year-old son 
who had been on the streets, knocked on the door, and we heard, Mommy? Daddy? Are you awake? And the heart of our child was just a child who wanted to be enveloped in, in his parents' arms. And it was just, it's a really, yeah, beautiful memory. So we had the next year, and then? There were some relapses during that year, but our relationship flourished in spite of them. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. so it, so you guys remained connected. Was he living with you at the time? Or? He wasn't living with us just because um, we had other younger kids at home. Sure, sure. And we had all, um, we had been doing Al-Anon and sure. Ryan was doing AA. And gotcha. so the rule of like not being clean. Yeah, no, no, that's great. And so you, but clean. you guys were in, in contact. Yes. You guys were seeing yes. regularly in relationship. A lot of restoration was happening in that mm. season, yeah. I would guess. And a lot of, yes. you guys were learning how to love and, and show grace in probably the most expansive way you had ever had to. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. And it was beautiful. The addiction part was hard. The recovery part wasn't easy. But the part about Ryan being gay, that wasn't a tough part. What I'd been so afraid of, it wasn't nearly as scary as I had made it out to be. And we just, we kept leaning in and... And it was beautiful. Yeah, our conviction, having gone through all that, was just love your son. Love your yeah. son. God seemed to deliver that message to us over, over and over. And I think that first, that message just kept coming back all year long. Mm. Coming back. Just love your, just love Ryan. Just love Ryan. Don't, I can take the right of the rest. Just love Ryan. So next in the story, um, do you want to share the next chapter? I think that... The next chapter, to make a very kind of um, long story short, and the next chapter is long and and short, and um, but um, basically um, Ryan uh, Ryan had broken off with that boyfriend because he had been a boy a guy that he had used with, and so he was trying to get clean, and so he hadn't seen him in quite a long time, and one day. Um, Ryan called and he said, hey, mom, I'm going to get back. We're going to go see the movies tonight. We're going to, he hasn't been using and he says he hasn't been using and we're going to get together and I'm kind of nervous, but I think it'll be fine. And, and the two of us talked about it and, um, and had a really fun conversation. Again, you were on duty at work Mm -hmm. and, um, and then, um, and I saw him quickly that evening, before he went, dropped something off to his apartment where he was, he was rooming with a friend from rehab and then didn't hear from him for a couple days and didn't know really what happened. And um, this is July or June, the end of June 2009. And then I was um, sitting in a doctor's office waiting room. My phone rang. And it was a social worker from the big trauma hospital in Seattle um, saying, are you the mother of Ryan Robertson? And I said, yes. And she said, well, we have a, we have, um, she didn't say a patient. She said, we have a body here that needs to be identified. And um, 
we'd like you and your husband to come down to the hospital to identify, to make sure this is your son. And of course, that's, um, we thought our world had changed enough so many times, but then our world really changed. And called Rob, he came up from the fire station and we um, drove across to Seattle. And Ryan, you want to take over? They had stabilized him after having an overdose and not having um, a good airway, laying in one position for two days. His friends didn't call because they could still hear him breathing, although it was a snoring sound. There was a pressure wound on his chin and his chest, right where his chin was like that, so his airway was compromised. So he had this anoxic event where he didn't have enough oxygen for that entire time and the overdose of the drugs, but he was still alive. The medics that responded stabilized him, took him to Harborview. He survived that. I believe the social worker didn't want us to get false hope, so she wasn't talking like there was any hope. Right. When we got there um, and spent the night in his room. And one of the first things they did, do you remember what the first thing that they asked us? The first thing the doctor asked us when he came in was, um, what are his wishes in terms of life support? And what are your wishes? Yep. Wow. Said so it's not quite time to talk about that yet. I think <laughs> put that off to the next day. Yeah. So but we're in Harborview Medical Center for 17 days. So he's in a medical induced coma at this point, or no. he was just no, in not a medical induced. Himself. Yeah, because he was he was found yeah. in a coma. Okay. Yeah. And they're telling us that um, there's no sign of him waking up, but they'll be doing an MRI. Okay. Um, so to not get into all the details, I think, in our time frame, but there were so, I mean, I don't think, I never in my life before since felt the presence of God like we did there. Mm. And it was just beautiful. It was such, it was a, such a sacred time. We had, we, we had, you know, our Bibles and worship music, and we also had my brother and Ryan's game roommate coming in and out, and and our the the staff knew that Ryan was gay, and I think they didn't know quite what to think of us as um, Christians. Obviously, sure. Christians who were also there with their gay son, and they didn't know quite what to make of us. But um, it was a seventeen days just full of s- s- miracles and sweet time with Ryan, and um, at the at the end. They basically, we had a lot of hard, really excruciating decisions to make. Um, but um, at the end, right, um, the doctors really felt like Ryan was going to probably live the rest of his life as a vegetable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were all prepared to move him to a long-term facility. At Bailey Boucher. And, but that's not how it happened on the morning of July 16th. Yeah, he took a turn for the worse, and really sepsis took over. And uh, he could not recover from an infection. And uh, he took his last breath on July 16th, 2009, at 4.55 in the afternoon. And I, I think it, 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 I think it wasn't too long after that either that we both, 
like realize the irony of and the tragedy of the fact that we had begged God for years, fasted, prayed, pleaded, cried out, gotten other people to join us, that our son, that we wouldn't have a gay son. I had like just thought in my mind, oh, I just, why did this happen to us? Why did this happen to our boy? I just wanted to be like other families. The other families with just a bunch of heterosexual kids who got married and had children and lived what I thought was this normal ideal life. And so here we are, where we'd spent all this time praying that we wouldn't have a gay son. And I never once envisioned that we would end up without a gay son, but not at all in the way that we had hoped. Mm. The magnitude of of, um, the loss was indescribable, but at the same time, the way God met us in that place, in that time, um, is really difficult to describe because our language just doesn't capture um, how the Spirit of God held us up through that. Wow. So, I have to believe that there's all kinds of guilt and, and shame in that moment and even that you've had to work through um, <laughs> since would how do you get through that like I'm just I'm just curious how you guys have processed that as individuals and as a couple and as a family um, there was a point in our um, journey where we looked at each other and said um, to each other there is uh, very few couples that could survive what we're going through, but mm. we have to make a priority of our relationship as we move through this because the best thing we can do for Ryan and the other kids is to keep ourselves intact and on the same page. And yeah. um, God honored that and blessed that effort. Um, so I think that we, we processed very much together, but at times separately too, our... Our grief looked really different. Yep. I think I think the way our grief showed up looked mm-hmm. really different. Different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I never knew what the word keening really meant mm-hmm. until like those first few years after Ryan died, and Ryan, Rob would regularly go into your prayer closet and. And just keen and wail, and you could. We live on just about a horse acre. You could, from the edge of our lot, I could hear him wailing. Mm. And you started putting a towel in your mouth. Mm-hmm. And there's like, no way to heal without letting all that out. And I was convinced that um, the only way to heal would be to cry out to God and pray for wow. the healing that we needed. And I think that we knew that we had culpability in Ryan's despair, and we know that now. But I've never believed that I directly killed my son. There are some who say I would have been more merciful if I put a gun to his head. And And we can understand that sentiment. We sure can. And, you know, when you go public with a story, you're going to get all kinds of feedback, and so that's really hurtful. But the truth is, um, God is a big God, way bigger than we ever knew. And his love is so big. I don't think that we 
as humans have the power to cause as much to happen as sometimes we think. And yeah. so, but we have had a lot of. He's right. Justin's right. We had to sort a lot out. So oh, there was first, a lot of sorting. We've done. We we have been like God really gifted us with a psychologist who's also a spiritual director, mm. and we've spent many many hours. Yeah. And um, who we found out after, like after going to see him, and the people that recommended him didn't even know that someone that had also lost an adult son. So it's been wow. a perfect fit for us. And um, we've worked through, I mean, I think the first several years is like learning to breathe again, learning yeah. to, and forgiving ourselves. Yeah. It's been a long, hard process, and we go up and down. Yeah. And um, I, I think um, we experienced a couple things that gave us maybe an advantage over some that have lost a kid, and that is um, we got to say goodbye. We, we were able to reconcile. He was able to see our hearts and acknowledge that even the mistakes that we made, we talked about them with him, and he felt that what we did all the way through was always the best we needed to do for his best. And that he acknowledged that in one of his letters to us was a beautiful thing. Yeah, the right. best you could do with the information you had at the yeah. time. And, and Ryan was incredibly gracious to us. Yes, wow. We were not affirming in the year before he died. We were not... Suppo- we, if you had pressed us on it, yeah. if you had said, Robin Linda, do you think God blesses same-sex marriage? We probably would have had to say no if you had mm-hmm. pressed us on it. And we're at a different place now because we've done a lot more wrestling with Scripture and a lot more reading and research. But at the time... We probably would have said no, but we were setting that aside and leaning into love. And I'm so grateful that in a way that he heard that love. He heard it, yeah. And and God, and God, that's God's doing, really, because we felt like God's voice was the one that said, "Set theology aside, set those questions aside, lean in hard, Mm. love Him, just love Him. Trust me with all of that. You don't need to be the one to point anything out. I'm big enough to do that if I need to. You just love Him. Doesn't really." So, you know, and I think, yeah, Ryan, yeah. Ryan knew that before he died. You're right. Well, I want to honor your guys' time, and I know we're already over the time we agreed to, and you guys got other things to do. But for five minutes, can we just shift gears and talk a little bit about where you are now and how you're providing help for others? You had did a workshop here. Uh, I guess one of the questions I would have as we kind of come to the end is like, have you talked with other parents who have lost LGBT kids and supported them or other parents who are at the you know, very moment of finding out that they have an LGBT child and providing comfort, providing hope, mm-hmm. sharing, allowing your story? I find often as a pastor some of our most painful experiences in life can sometimes draw out our purpose and give us... Uh, an opportunity to provide hope for other people's stories. Sometimes our our most painful journeys can actually make us guides for others. Um, Are you finding your guys' self in that place? And obviously here at Q with a breakout session, you know, that that might be part of that. So tell me a little bit about um, all of that. Maybe we should go back and um, just say that we were invited to write our story 
for a small group of individuals at a Christian college okay. that were struggling with their faith and their orientation. Mm-hmm. And why don't you take it from there, Linda, that's um, where you wrote a capsule yeah. of our story. Yeah, I think we Rob had been praying after, since Ryan's death, you had been praying for God, like just lifting up and just telling God, you use our story. However, the, all the mistakes we made, all of the all of the unintended consequences, all of the ways that we really thought we were loving Ryan, but Ryan didn't hear it as love. Yeah. Robert, you just were, you were so committed. And at that time, I remember I kept saying, no, no, Rob, we're not going to go. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything with the story. I can't, I can't. And Rob, Rob just kept praying. Rob just kept praying. And then this little tiny group of an underground group of LGBT Christians on a very conservative Christian campus um, asked me to write a short synopsis of our story for their website and thought about it was, as I went to bed, their ask, and couldn't fall asleep that night, so got up, banged it out really fast, didn't edit it, went, hit send, and it went up on their website, and then someone else saw it, and... That, that little piece went viral. And so our story ended up um, getting shared and shared and shared. And because that story got shared, we got asked to speak at the very final Exodus conference where um, Alan Chambers announced that Exodus would be closing their doors. And he wanted a story of one of the reasons why they were closing wanted our story to illustrate that. And um, those who don't know, Exodus International was a gay reparative therapy mm-hmm. um, outlet, was, I guess, or ministry. It was a yeah. big, large umbrella, umbrella organization. Network. Yeah. for Yeah, network, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and then um, we shared a second half of our story and more details of what happened at the hospital with Ryan at the at what the Q Christian, what then used to be called Gay Christian Network Conference here in Chicago in 2015. Yeah. Um, and then I think, I think our desire, and we never set out to do this, but our desire is that, is that if people hear our story, we would love to prevent other parents from, like other loving parents who are, love their kids and they love Jesus and they desire to do the right, right thing, we would like we would hope that they would hear our story and prevent them from doing the thing that we did to Ryan, communicating a message that's so discouraging, that's so, that causes them to be so desperate. And you, when you, and you come to a cute Christian conference and you hear story after story after story of young adults who cannot believe that God loves them. And story after story after story, and the gay Christians that we know, so many of them, they've all had a point where they've committed, they've considered suicide. Yeah. And like our, like, like our son, and I, we would, our heart's desire is that if someone hears our story, that they could reconsider their reaction and then we could urge them to shut out other voices and just to listen to God's voice. Yeah. And to really trust the God of the universe, the creator of their, ch- of their child, 
the one who knows every hair on their child's head. Loves them infinitely. Yeah. And has got this, is all over this. Yeah, yeah. He's got this, and that he's so not cool. wringing their hands. Or he's not wringing his hands about yeah. their sexual orientation. We might be, but he's not. We talk about it at the bridge, the church that I pastor a lot, and we say, um, maybe you've been handed an image of God with a lightning bolt in the sky ready to strike you down the moment you're not in line, however you've been, whatever you've been taught the line is, right? And we just talk about God looks so different than that. And this is a place where we're going to talk about a God that looks very different than that. So yes. a lot of deconstruction is necessary if you can handle right. that God, though. And so I sense that you guys have gone through quite a bit of deconstruction since Ryan's passing. And have you, do you have tangible moments where you've really, really feel like you've provided um, education, comfort to other parents who are going through these similar similar story oh we yeah i mean we have been so blessed yeah we have we have thousands of emails from parents and from lgbt young adults and lgbt people of all ages from all across the world really and so many of yeah so many parents who have heard our story and have written to say my child just came out Mm -hmm. and someone sent me your story and you're and I don't know what to do, but I know I don't want that. I know I've got to lean into love. And I think for us, we're not the ones that are theology experts. That's not, that's not what God's, a gift God's given us. But I think whatever you think about theology, whether you land in it, whatever position you land in, mm-hmm. to know that you've just... You can't let those positions stand before you and your relationship with your child. Yeah. Those positions can't be a shield. They can't be a wall between you and your child. Don't let them. Don't let them. Anything that holds you back from just loving with abandon, with that reckless, scandalous love, like we sing about that God loves us with. Yes. The single most important lesson we learned through all of this is that God loves us truly unconditionally. This is not about doing anything. But a lot of times I think church culture adds something to it. Certainly we added something to it with Ryan. But as we walked around our neighborhood processing one day, we came to the conclusion that our three surviving kids need to benefit from what we learned, and that is we should love them just because they breathe, not because they give us grandkids, not because they marry the right person in our eyes, not because they get some job we think they should have, but just because they breathe. And that's the the name of the website, just because he breathes dot com, right? Yeah. Yes. And uh, you can find out more information there. So I I, I see your guys' heart though, because like even uh, just before we started, Doran was here and seeing you guys talk with Doran and give him a big hug and like I can just tell you have a huge heart for many of the young people that you interact with and um, how can people get in contact you with you if they maybe have um, listened to this and connected deeply with your story or feel like they, they want to uh, reach out. Your website, is that they, the best direction um, to yeah, go? Yeah, either, either if they want to, if they want to um, read our story, it is, it is at justbecausehebreathes.com. Okay. Or they can Google just because he breathes on YouTube and mm-hmm. um, find um, both the times we've spoken there. Or they can... Um, Email me 
Linda yeah. D. Robertson at Gmail. Okay. I want to thank you guys both for, for the vulnerability and the courage to share the story. I, I, I got to believe it's like reopening a wound a little bit every time you share it. And I'm really thankful that you took the time to, to meet with me and, and do this and to, to share this with all the people listening. I really do think it's going to impact a lot of people. If there was maybe a final word that you guys each wanted to leave in people's hearts and minds, what might that be? I would just like people to consider carefully what we experienced before they um, respond to their kids, if they come out to them, that they would consider this story in a way that caused them to love and love and love. Yeah. And like, I guess the thing that pops in my head is what I wish I would have done is love and like, love your friends, love your family, love your neighbors out of faith, not out of fear. Yes. Mm. Let faith be the motivation. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. yeah. Just, so and good. be the image of God to them. That a God, that, because really, it is scandalous to rent a room for your, it felt very scandalous to rent a room yeah. for my, our gay son and his boyfriend. Yeah. It, at, certainly at that time, it felt scandalous. Scandalous but grace. Scandalous yes. grace. Yeah. That's, now I know that's the way he loves me. And that's wow. the way he loves every one of us. Thank you both. Thank Robin you. And Linda, thank you so much. Thank you, Justin. So before I start recording episodes of the Beyond Boundaries podcast, I always ask my guests if they have a time they'd prefer to shoot for being finished. At this point, when we finished, we were probably 30 minutes over that time, but it was my sense that uh, Robin Linda wanted to keep going, so we went 30 minutes over, and then we landed the interview. After we ended the interview, we kept talking, and it was clear there was more to process and discuss. I let Robin Linda know I would keep recording, and I did. This portion isn't as guided or intentional. Uh, It's just you being invited into uh, the conversation we had following their story. I felt like I should include it because the title of this podcast is Beyond Boundaries, and this conversation might really be helpful for some of you. So please know that we were just in conversation at this point and proximity to the microphones wasn't something we were focusing on. So the audio may be a little more difficult to hear at times, but again, I hope you find this extra portion of our uh, conversation helpful. God ramped up his love for Ryan, ramped up his pursuit of Ryan, that he was alive by the time he ended up in Harborview. Yeah, I was was just... That was a miracle by itself. Yeah, it totally they stabilized was. him after this. I mean, what he took. Oh, yeah. He researched how much to take. I mean, when he tried to commit suicide every time, like, he would go, no, no, I don't want to be alive after this. So he would research. Like, he took, he he took three times the lethal amount of Valium and of Xanax and, like, methadone. I mean, he just, like, yeah, there, I mean, which I, I he, do he think. He was convinced that, that God... Something. Yeah. Wow. You know, I. Nuts. I think that the. Oh, the. You know, there's. Oh, you just. I just had a thought that I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to tell, um, Justin about this, but one of the reasons. One of the reasons. Oh. One of the things. The reasons we haven't been sharing our story is because, and why we're kind of rusty going through it all, is because. the only really pe- the only people that invited us to share our story are 
are spaces that are either LGBTQ spaces yeah. or spaces that are like church, well, a church that was in process of becoming affirming okay. and a church that was pretty much already there. Yeah. And it is painful to dig it all up and to go through this story. And we kind of made a decision along with our, our spiritual director that, un- that we would step back for a while unless we were invited to, um, to speak into a, like a, a space that was more non-affirming. So we're super rusty. Oh, but yeah. the deconstruction thing. I have to tell you this. So... Well, um, when Ryan denounced us, he wrote us a letter. Mm. And it, it, we, my, Lindsay, our daughter, reads it in the, when we spoke at GCN. She reads the letter because we tell the other part of our story there. But Is that on video too somewhere? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, I watched the video you guys. Yeah, you watched I'll, I'll Exodus. Put it in the, I'll put it in the show notes, both the links, so that okay. people can go find those and also put the website, obviously, in there. Oh, you're great. Well, you, I mean, it's it really is. This part I don't think really is in there. But the GCN presentation is far better and more complete. Yeah, in oh, some okay. ways, in some ways, yeah. It's a little more polished. We had never spoken in public before. We had a week before Exodus and to I get up and do that. Ever speak in public again? I just don't like. Yeah, we're not yeah. public speakers. But the the um, so he had oh, he basically letter. had written us this letter, and we kind of call it it's vile. It's really vile. It's really vile. It's vile. I mean, I mean, and yes, it was drug fueled, but it was drug fueled underneath the drug fueled anger. Mm-hmm. Is real anger, yeah, and real pain, oh, and yeah. real hurt. Oh, yeah. So, he he wishes harm upon us. He tells us that he he loathes every cell of our body, like oh, it's it's vile. And um, because of the deconstruction, I think we've done, and I oh we do, I guess we do say part of this in the. We like I tell the story of God speaking to me in the Starbucks line. Doran reminded me of that at the, at the cute at GCN, and that. But um, our views of hell have really changed yeah. because, um, because of two things. Number one, after Ryan died, Rob was really sure I'd see Ryan again. I felt really like I needed reassurance, so I started doing all this reading about. Um, Eternal security. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah. You know, and I'm reading on both sides. Yeah. And I basically realized, oh, this is great. 50% of evangelicals think Ryan's in heaven. Other 50% think he's in hell. If you're Armenian, he's in hell. If you're Calvinist, he's in heaven because he was the light. And he couldn't walk away from God. Mm. You know, and I'm like, oh, crap. Flip a coin, and I'm supposed to trust and love a God and send my... Sent my child to hell mm. for eternal conscious suffering. Yeah. And I'm supposed to lo- not just trust, but I'm like, not just worship, but love and trust that God yeah. that might have sent my son to hell. That's, That's I wasn't finding that. I wasn't finding that easy to do. Of so um, that, really, that really prompted us to go to spiritual direction. Did you guys have a change in your concept of hell? Can I complete that thought, though? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the point that stood out to me was when God, you know, when Ryan wrote us 
the right. letter that he wrote it was so vile. He he said things that were just horrible, and, it, and we read that letter in that presentation. But um, it never changed how we saw Ryan. Never at all. We were no. undaunted in the fact that he's our son, and we yeah. love him because he's ours. And that was what God really like. That I feel like the two times in my life I've heard God speak were while Ryan was missing, and then right after Ryan died. While Ryan was missing, about like I've got him. I know right where he is. He may be missing from you. It's not missing for me. Mm-hmm. I know it, where he is. And then about this, when I was just in angst about mm-hmm. whether Ryan was in hell, because that's when God said, like, like really spoke to me about like Linda. Ryan, Ryan disowned you. He hated you. He loathed you. Wanted harm upon you. He he. Like, he said he was no longer a Robertson, said he was no longer your child. He couldn't have rejected us in any stronger words or stronger way. It's the prodigal son story. Yeah. yeah. Right. Give me my inheritance, I'm gone. And that's like the most disowning thing you could do in first century Judaism. And and this was like, and I am not coming back because everything you stand for, I reject. Mm. I don't want any part of you of being a Robertson child. So essentially, it's like... To us, he did what I was afraid, like, like him saying to God, I'm no longer your child. I'm walking away from God. He walked away from us. And God yeah. said to me, Linda, did you ever stop loving Ryan for a second? Yeah. Did he ever stop being your child for a second? You know, did he ever stop being a part of your family for a second? And of course, the answer is obviously no. Yeah. I'm for a moment. And then it's like the obvious. Okay, Linda, mm. you think you love Ryan more than I love Ryan? Yeah. You think you're a better parent than I am? Mm. So you think I'm going to reject Ryan? Yeah. You couldn't. You didn't want to. You didn't even have it, you know, not yeah. even for a second. You think I'm going to? Well, mm. You know, am I love or not? You know, That's and awesome. it's like that forever. It's opened us up to like, Embracing this God that's more trustable, more lovable, bigger. More gracious. More, more gracious. Merciful. Actually scandalous grace. Yes. Actually, not, not, we don't just sing about it. We actually, like, believe it. Like, Who looks at our bad actions like a toddler throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. And it's I get it. harmless. Yeah. And yet we have all these things that we call deal breakers for God. And, yeah. and I don't think God throws people into a pit for eternity. Yeah. Well, we just did at the bridge last this time last year actually, and it was I was expecting it to be far more controversial than it was, but I did a series on hell, wow. and we did four Sundays on the topic of hell, um, and I called it rock paper scissors shoot, <laughs> um, and I talked about how uh, so the the metaphor we used through it was if you throw a rock in a fire, it just burns and burns and burns and burns and burns. Does that make sense? Like, mm-hmm. and yeah. so we talked about the first Sunday, eternal conscious torment, the traditional view yeah. that most people have. And then um, paper, we talked about uh, the idea that um, of conditionalism, that uh, in essence you um, are thrown into the fire and you just cease to exist. Like, does that yes. make sense? Like, yeah. uh, and, and, that, and that throughout the New Testament, eternal life is always, is always mentioned as a gift for those that follow Jesus. So why have we come to the conclusion that everyone is granted eternal life? Um, it seems as if judgment might just be that they don't, 
get invited into the gift of eternal life and they just cease to exist. They're not going to be conscious, awake, being tormented by, you know, Satan in hell, fire, all that, right? And then uh, the third Sunday was uh, scissors. And we talked about when you pass scissors through the fire, it can um, refine them. It can uh, make them pure if you were to be you know, at a campsite and having to use a knife on someone for a reason of surgery or something, you might pass it through the fire to, uh, remove, you know, unwanted, uh, you know, things from it. So we just talked about that concept and saying that, um, what if the fire is refining and mm-hmm. talked about multiple passages in the scripture that allude to fire being refining. And so, and so we, we, we shared these three different views and then we just told our community, like all three of these views are welcome here. Um, yeah. uh, they're, they're all within the Christian tradition and one has done quite significant damage in our view of God, mm-hmm. not necessarily that that means it's wrong, but some right. of the ways we've come to see God because of that, um, is that we, we, we are, we are lacking the full picture of God's grace. And I think when we talk even on this issue about being conditioned to respond to a child that comes out to us in a certain way, hell is fueling most of that. Oh, it fuel, and, 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 fuels fear. Yes, it is. It well, fueled my fear. And, and, and it's not just fueling because you think your child's going to hell. It's fueling because you think it's the heart of God to send your child to hell for this. Like that, that it's actually attached to the way you see God and right. the way you see hell. Yes. And I think that it's interesting. And then the last Sunday, the shoot was just a Q&A on hell. So you can find that on our website if you're interested, wow. but, but it's, uh, Rob Bell would be proud of you. Oh uh, yeah. I was, <laughs> I, I wasn't sure if I was going to lose my church after that, but <laughs> we're a unique church. <laughs> but, but I mean, I think, I think that I think people asking questions about hell, it, honestly, when you dive into the theology of it, it's one of those things that I growing up thought there, this is not up for conversation. The theology yeah, right. is so clear and like, when you dive into it with honesty and integrity, you realize, wow, there's just a whole lot going on here that, that I've never been exposed to. I had never considered these other perspectives that I'm looking back in church history and there's multiple people who said this perspective is far more in line with the heart of God. Yes. Like, and so like when I think about the prodigal son story and I'm not a Calvinist, by the way, I don't believe in necessarily <laughs> that, but I would say like, when I think about a father, I think about like, like this father who his son leaves, his son uh, returns. But what's crazy about the story is that the father runs. A Jewish father isn't supposed to run. Right. A Jewish father isn't He's supposed to right. hug him. This is crazy. A Jewish father isn't supposed to kill the fattened calf for a child. And the, and, and the crazy thing is and like... the child had not apologized. The child asked the same questions that your child asked though too. Yes. Like, can I just be a servant? Like, should you ever forgive yes. me? Could you ever, like, so could you ever, like, like, like this, this, this... I, I was thinking that story the, the whole time you were sharing that part of the phone call because... I feel like that's so how the prodigal comes back. And then when you said you could bring 15 boyfriends over, like that seems to be the position of the father too. Like I would never treat you like one of my hired hands. We're killing the fattened calf. We're having a party. And like, and then, and then he gives him a ring, which, which is really significant because it's the ring of the seal of the family that he can actually go out and purchase things with that. And like, he's, it's like, how, what are you doing? This is a kid who just squandered his portion of the wealth. 
and disowned you, and now you're 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 he's you're actually saying he's part of the family again, mm. like and he's not just part of the family like in theory he's part of the family and all of the privileges of the family, yeah. and you kill the fattened calf and you have this party for him and he's embraced and he's invited in and then the struggle I think we're dealing with on this topic is like and then there's the big brother, yeah, who's 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 like how. I, we can't. I followed all the rules. This person doesn't get grace. Right. Like, not that I followed all the rules. That's what got me here. And and I think it's it's a great parable for this whole conversation. Not just your story, but the conversation of LGBT. I think in that, like, when God's grace does show up in a scandalous way, mm-hmm. it, are we the big brother? Yes. Or are we are we running in to share in the celebration of grace? Like I think that's that's the intersection, and I think like you guys were at that intersection when you're like, do we buy them a hotel? Like, are we going to enter into the scandalous grace here, or are we going to be the big brother? And I think I think that parable can teach us so much about yes. the heart of God, far more than any of our right theology. Yes. And, and thank God we're not saved by right theology, right? Oh, because yeah. I'm not right in all my theology, even no. though I have degrees in theology. I I'm probably more sure, certain that I'm wrong in my theology because of my degrees. And like just, just because it's exposed me to so many different views of God and so many different ways of yes. The lack of hesitation in those moments, in those particle moments on our part, is testimony even to how God's love is like that for us. Yeah. And then, then it makes us think, if the lack of our hesitation, complete and utter in the, you know, like... There was not a bone of hesitation either, I mean, of our bodies, not a, not a thought. Then we think that's just a glimpse of how God loves us. Yeah. Just a shadow, the tiniest sliver of a shadow. Yeah. Because I am just so flawed, clearly. We Obviously. all are. We all are. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's pretty cool to start seeing God in that new way. Yeah. To breathe it in and rest in it. I think it's it's uh, it's ushered me into an era where of being able to rest in the love of God in a holy way. One of the things that encourages me in my faith repeatedly is to go back and look at the daily writing that Linda did posts on Facebook while we were at Harborview for those seventeen days, because what happened there was really extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, we do capture that in the GCN presentation. Okay, good. Yeah, I think I'll have to watch that. Yeah, I think we capture a lot of it. Yeah, I think because you'll you'll pick up one of the things we began asking ourselves is um, is if God does not love Ryan in the hospital, he showered Ryan with presence and love mm-hmm. and grace. It was like. God was there reaching down, like moving across the veil to grab him, yeah. take him home. You know, I mean, to receive him. Yeah. You know, just receive him. And, I, and that's not the way we imagined God embracing a gay child. If, sure. Does that make sense? Definitely. That's not what we had pictured. It's not the way you were conditioned to. Uh, I, I think I, I talked with uh, Susan for the podcast mm-hmm. uh and um, I was really interested in how much she kept going back to being conditioned because I was like, that's right. We, even if you are, and you guys had been exposed to this conversation, you guys were not like 
the homeschool insulated family who had never had Mm -mm. any experience with the LGBT community. And, you know, you had some exposure, but still conditioning is going to win out. Yes. And I think, I think, and I think that's actually the reason why, like, I, as a pastor, I'm just like, man, we've got to stop that conditioning. Like we can have conversations about the theology and I think that's really important. And, Side A and side B, those conversations got to happen, and I think that's good. But like, if the conditioning that we're we're you know subjecting our congregations to is going to lead to more of these stories, right? Then like, I guess I'm just going to have to be a heretic. Like, I you know what I mean? Like, I guess if that's the if that's the expense, because as I'm hearing you guys talk, I'm like, it's not just I mean, and a lot of people, like, uh, the, the the comment you said about, you know, uh, some of the feedback you've got and some of the really negative feedback, eh, that's really unfortunate. Because I think while certainly you guys have owned and are continuing to own part of your um, response and how that influenced the events, I think the greater thing that needs to be owned is the reality that the church and how you guys interacted with faith and Christianity conditioned you to think the way in which you were were responding was actually coming to his rescue. Does that make sense? That this was the, this was the, you guys were actually providing a life source when at the very, and that's how you were conditioned to think you were, you were responding. Right. But really it was providing, you know, in a lot of ways, it just wasn't, it wasn't what was needed at that time. Right. It wasn't. No, you're so right. Absolutely. Like conditioning has got to change. And I think that's part of the reason why people like you, it's such a gift that you at your church are listening to the voices of gay Mm -hmm. Christian elevating their voices. Because if we, when Ryan came out, he didn't know any gay Christians. We didn't know any gay Christians. And I think we had this idea of what it meant to be gay that was so inaccurate. It was so misinformed. And, and often um, we have, for several years, we have led a group of LGBT young adults. And for years, they met in our home on a regular basis. And I would often look around at them, and my eyes would fill with tears. Look around at these young adults who are thriving. Their relationships are healthy. They're giving back to their communities. They love God. They're committed to their churches. They, um, they're like healthy psychologically and emotionally and spiritually and physically. They're like, and I like, I think there'd be this voice in me that go, Linda, this is what you are afraid of. Yeah. This because the picture, I still think in our society, the picture of, of the gay community is often stereotyped as we stare on, you know, we show the most radical people in the pride parade and on one day of their lives. Yeah. And we talk and about we, promiscuity. And-, and, you know, and I, and wild, the, the, the gay bar scene. And I think we don't, we highlight and we stereotype and we misinform. And when the reality is, I would, 
if if I could go back and I could say, choose one of the the young adult gay Christians in our life as a role model for Ryan. Oh, I, he'd end up with 200 oh, role much, models. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't know how to choose yeah. because there are so many. These are amazing. They're amazing human beings that teach me so much. And yet I have a friend who lives in Louisiana in her 40s. She's closeted. And she, she has a hard time believing that thriving gay Christians exist because they're not in the media. And again, it's this conditioning. And, and along that, those lines of conditioning, I believe that there's a party line in conservative Christian culture for this is what gay is and this is how you sh- should respond to gay. And that party line is what we followed. We believed at hook, line, and sinker, that that was the yeah. pathway. And, and this party line led to death in a very literal way. And now we are exposed to this life. Right, another way that has led to such life. Yeah. Right? so clear and so obvious that the prescription doesn't work. And the party line leads to millions of people walking away from God, feeling like they're not left by God. And this new idea that we're, that we're grabbing hold of, if we can only have the courage to grab hold of it, yeah. it's leading people back yeah. into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, if you think about it in an evolutionary way, like... There's a fight or flight mechanism. And as a firefighter, you know this. Like when you go into a situation, you're afraid, but you have to like kind of shut down that fight or flight mechanism and like really think critically and re- like rationally. Like like you even yes. mentioned that earlier. Like like how you, you have to learn how to how to how to be mindful yes. that right now I, I can't react emotionally. Like I'm allowed that to take There's over. No time for There's it. exactly. And so, do the job. but for many <laughs> of us, off. like that's a, that's a survival mechanism. Right. And it's actually a healthy thing that when we're afraid, we, we, we have a fight we or flight mechanism. If there was a snake on the floor, I, I, you always right. use that God metaphor. It's given. like, it's like, I don't want to touch the snake. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I want to run, I want to burn this whole hotel down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't like snakes, but I'm saying like, so that's a healthy thing. But I think the struggle is, is when you've been conditioned so long to be afraid of something, mm-hmm. even if no one's ever explicitly told you to be afraid of it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But all of the language around it is fear. Oh man, the pastor's never done a sermon on that. That must be, f- that there's a lot that's taboo or like, or you've, you've seen things happen to people that have been in that community, whether that's that they got kicked out of the tribe and we are tribalistic beings. And so Mm -hmm. you begin to say, well, this might affect my relationship with that person. And whether these are conscious or subconscious things you're calculating, that fight or flight mechanism is part of what's kicking in when you are so conditioned. And I think I think it's really important for people who have been in church for a large portion of their life to pause and consider some of the ways they've been conditioned and, right. and, and try their best to shut that off and almost go through, especially as a parent of, of young people, mm-hmm. like I have, I have three kids, nine, seven, and four, and I've already actually closed my eyes and imagined them coming out to me. Mm. Because I want to feel the emotions I feel in that moment mm-hmm. and not, not feel it for the first time and potentially react because, because I'm, I've been part of the culture that's very conditioned mm-hmm. a certain way. I think that could be very helpful for people, a practice of sorts, to say, 
if my goal is to love my kid no matter what, and this is something that may very well be part of their journey, I have an obligation to kind of pause and consider the way I've been conditioned. Because I'm going to respond with the fight or flight mechanism if I don't start to recognize it's there. It's there, right. And, and I'm guessing part of your guys' work is, is helping people discover the way they've been conditioned as you talk to different people, as you support yes. it, right? And also, I think, uh, well, we couldn't agree more. I mean, there's so many words in our society that mean basically are the equivalent of gay or trans or, yeah. or you know that are negative pejorative words and they're sure. all throughout our language yeah. and we you and I mean you said it you played a game called smear the queer yeah we talked about that earlier right yeah. I mean it's all through our language and I think there is so much conditioning and what that does to you know, children hearing those that that know they don't know they don't have a word yet for what they are. I had but no they clue know. what that meant at that time. No, but I know subconsciously that connected to me that that's the weak person. And it uh, and in, it in can, the game it is. Does that and make sense? Absolutely. Like, and gradually, we've heard stories of you know kids that grow up gay hearing all that hearing that language. Of course. And they don't have words to put around what's different about them, but they gradually begin to suspect that those words somehow come to mean something about who they are, and it shapes their identity in such a harmful way. My, my youth pastor pulled me aside when I think I was a junior or senior in high school. I was leading worship. I was one of the most like committed youth group kids. Pulled me into his office, and I would throw the word gay around like it was, you know, yeah. man, that's gay, that's gay. Like, you know, like it right. was just language. It all, right? I, I, I had never stopped to think about it. And this is right. what my youth pastor tells me. You really need to stop saying that. And I was like, why? Well, I don't understand. Like, right. it, for me, it was like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't. No, he's gay here. So yeah. Well, that actually wasn't even my thought. I didn't, I wasn't even think. I didn't know. I wasn't even, I just wasn't aware. Like, I had no yeah. awareness. And immediately he told me, he goes, there are gay kids here. And that is hurtful and I was like oh I didn't know like I didn't know there were gay kids there first and I didn't even know if they heard that 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 would be hurtful because I hadn't even considered the context I was saying it in like it was just such a regular conditioned part of my right like language that I hadn't paused to think oh no yeah I guess that could be really hurtful to someone standing next to me while that I maybe am not in conversation with hearing me call this other friend of mine gay in a na- in a negative, negative way. way. And it was uh, never a compliment, right? No. And and yeah, exactly. So I I I look back at that and I'm like I think that might have been like the first moment I was like, "Oh, there I've been missing something here and like became open and a little more sensitive. But yeah, yeah, I mean, the language is so important, like, and the, and the conditioning is so deeply entrenched. So deeply entrenched. And one of the things we do, like we did in our workshop though, is to, is to give people space to process because none of us are going to make, we don't change as human beings quickly. And like that therapist that we met with, who she expected us to go from A to Z in a 45-minute session. And by pressuring us to do that, whatever is negative A, that's where we went. 
Yeah. You know, you it, went backwards. We went backwards. Absolutely. As fast as we could. Absolutely. So I think people need a safe place to push back, ask questions, wrestle with their fears, grieve, like be, feel. But I think one, um, but that place needs to be away from their LGBTQ friends and family. Because those questions, those fears, that wrestling, that doubt that's necessary. It can cause and a lot of pain. part of the process. Those, those words will echo down the well of eternity. Yeah. <laughs> but, if they're, but if they're in a classroom at a breakout session yep. with some parents who have been through this, who can be guides. Right. And they can say, what about this? What about that? But... You know, that feels, that's so disgusting. Yeah. You have to be honest with where you're at. Aren't they going to go to hell? Yes. You got to be honest with where you're at. You can't, if anything else is just faking it, right? Absolutely. And, and I think if you just fake it, it's, yeah, exactly. It's going to get repressed. It's going to come out somewhere else. Absolutely. And so that's so beautiful that you guys had that. How was that workshop attended and how was it received? I think it was good for the first one. I think it was good. I, I, I feel like parents were really vulnerable and I think, um, there's evidence that it was a safe space. They were that vulnerable. There were that but many tears. There were that many questions. And you know, that makes me think, though, about your idea of pre-thinking about it. Yeah. Because a lot of parents who end up really doing a great job loving their kids said things in the first few moments that they wish they could take back. Yeah. And the kids don't... It's like... You can't take back words. They do ring in their kids' heads. Sure. And, and so many LGBTQ kids, when they come out as gay or come out as trans or they parent, they hear, yeah. like, it would be easier if you had cancer or it would be easier if you were dead or, or, and, you know, and the things that we say in a panic I think that I love your idea of like thinking through it, imagining yeah, it. Yeah, imaginative. Because, because even, it doesn't mean you won't have a process. It doesn't mean yeah. you need to not have a process. Oh, that concept yeah. of pre-planning is critical to our work in the fire service. Yep. We have to do that on our target hazard buildings or we're going to be a mess in the real incident. We totally make a plan if a fire occurs in significant structures. Yeah. So and that we're not like doing and saying things that are ineffective. You know, and I guess then you pro- you process before fight or flight kicks in, before That's fear kicks in, exactly. and your reptile brain takes over, <laughs> right? And yeah. while your frontal cortex is still working. Yeah, yeah. So that's a good word for people who maybe are parents of young people to consider that. Just in, yeah. That would be great to have a plan or to... And At I least think it. also I would say to begin processing this conversation Early. now, reading resources... Getting yes. educated because here's Listening the to stories. Well, here's the other deal. Let's say none of your kids are gay. Right. All of your kids are going to have relationships with gay people, Absolutely. and they're going to be coming over to your house, and their parents Thank might you. respond in a very terrible way, and you might be the only safe haven for that kid, yeah. because when they come over to dinner at your house, they feel like they're loved, like 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 there's hope, like it's going to get better. Yes. And so, there's an obligation, I think, to say, I. I am parenting kids who are also going to have an influence in other people's lives who also might respond with a fight or flight mechanism, a fight or flight mechanism that I might hand them because of my own conditioning to their friends and, and cause their friends to feel abandoned because of something I taught them or because of a a, a way in which I, I expressed how we respond to that. And so there's, 
I don't think people also realize like the ripple, even if it's not your family, you, this is, you have to really isolate yourself to not be touched by the LGBT community at this point. And, and I think, uh, whether your students, your kids are aware of it or not, they're going to school with people who are in the LGBT community. And incidentally, one safe person can save someone from taking their own life. Yeah. Yes. It can be the difference. It yes. Can. Yeah. It can be the hope that gets you to the next day that makes you think like Absolutely. there's there's something ahead. It really will get better. Like yes. And I, I yeah. And to get that kid those kids through those tough teenage years, young adult years, get yeah. them through those rough years till they can get forward. Yeah. Yeah. Be that one safe person. Yeah. Amen. So good. So or good. be that one safe person for a friend when their child comes out to them. Yeah. Be the person they can come to and know yeah. you, they won't be judged. They won't be condemned. They'll be just listened to. Welcome. Here, here. Well, thanks again. Okay. You guys, you you. guys got to get your pizza. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Us. Uh, You're over here doing air go, spots, too. Before we yes. go, show us picture your kids. Yes, of course. Yes. Oh, Imagining them coming out. How did you come to that? I've never heard of somebody having that kind of foresight. Um, because for me, my... my um, I had students come out to me that couldn't come out to their parents, mm. and it connected with me in a deep way that kind no of was like, kind of was like, if that's the environment they've created, I want to create a different environment. So I think I think that was probably um, the biggest part. I'm trying to find our Christmas card because that would be awesome. Another episode in the books. I want to thank Rob and Linda for being so open and sharing their story. It is my prayer that it speaks to those of us who are parents, friends, family members, or loved ones of LGBTQIA individuals. More love is needed. You have the ability to share that love. Don't miss those opportunities. It was great to have you with me today on Beyond Boundaries. If you want to learn more about me or find the show notes for this episode, you can go to pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments and questions, or you can reach out via Instagram. I'm at Pastor Justin Douglas. Please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing. It really does make a difference. And I'm so thankful when you guys comment, share, subscribe, all that stuff. Let's keep the conversation going. I would love to hear your feedback. May you go and live a life that is beyond boundaries, giving others love, exploring new ideas, and championing belonging.